I got an email recently, and uh, I thought it was neat. Now you watch, it'll bomb tonight, but uh, Angela, Angela, this ought to make your heart beat a little faster. And Chanel, yours too, wherever you are. Huh? Well, not really, but I'm not here to I'm not here to um, prove the existence of God or anything like that. But we talk about order and um, symmetry in nature, and this is um, all about order and symmetry in the area of math. And I don't know about you, but I just think this is neat. One times one is one. Eleven times eleven is one two one. Hundred eleven times one hundred eleven is one two three two one. And you keep adding digits, and it goes one two three four three two one one two three four five four three two one. And finally, you know, you get down to one two three four five six seven eight nine. Eight seven six five four three two one. Is that neat? Or not? Maybe not. <laughs> well, if, if you don't like that one, let's try this one. Nine times nine plus. Well, let's see. Nine, and then nine eight, and then nine eight seven, then nine eight seven six, nine eight seven six five, all the way to nine eight seven six five four three two times nine. Plus seven six five four three two one equals a whole lot of eights. Now I'm sure some of you are going to bring your technology up later on and check the math, but I just think that's neat. Hey, whatever turns you on, you know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, I like this one too. One one two one two three one two three four all the way down through one two three four five six seven eight nine times nine. Plus two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten equals a whole lot of ones. Get rid of that eight. Let <laughs> me. How about this one? One, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, all the way down through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times eight plus. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine equals nine, nine, eight, nine, eight, seven, nine, eight, seven, six, nine, eight, seven, six, five, nine, all the way down through nine, eight, six, seven, five, four, three, two, one. Like I said, it doesn't prove the existence of God or anything, but you know what? There is order and there is symmetry, even in the field of mathematics. And uh, I just thought that was neat and so. Okay, I'll turn it around and do what I'm supposed to be doing tonight. Oh, went right over their heads. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Hey, I want to um, I want to explain to you a concern that I have tonight. This morning I spoke a little bit about forgiveness. Have you have you thought about have you thought about that at all?
Have you figured out what the pseudo-saviors that, that, that you're holding on to as a substitute for total satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone? I hope you'll give some thought to that. I'm going to assume that some of you want to live truth in this Hollywood fake fairy tale world that we live in. And uh, you're not going to do it until you conquer that problem of unforgiveness. And there's another thing that we absolutely have to learn to do, and, and that is to love. I want to talk a little bit about love tonight. But I have a concern, and my concern is this. How much you've been listening this week, I don't know. How much you've been tying all this together, I'm not sure. Please don't go away from this week thinking that I am a proponent of the social gospel. That all we really need to do is meet people's physical needs. Yeah, we do need to do that. But people need to know that they are sinners in need of a Savior, that the cost of their sin, the price of their sin, is too high to pay, that somebody already paid it. And the Catholic Church is well known for its meeting of people's physical needs. They're not real strong on evangelism. Evangelicals on the other side of the coin are known for their strength in the area of evangelism. When it comes to people's needs, caring and meeting people's needs, quite frankly, we stink. And we've got, we've got to improve on that. We've got to keep our strong point, evangelism, but we sure do need to improve on meeting people's needs. Just keep the motive proper. Don't meet, meet people's needs because out of guilt feelings. Meet people's needs because that's the way you're going to win them to the point where they're willing to listen as you help them with their real need. Savior in Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, there was this country in Africa called Biafra. And the people were starving. And the big thing that all the churches were hitting on was feed the starving people in Biafra. And I heard more than one preacher talk about the fact that, yeah, we, we can go ahead and feed the starving people in Biafra and, 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 and put clothes on their backs and allow them to go to hell well-dressed with full stomachs. There's got to be a balance. Right now, our, strong, our weak point, our strong point is evangelism. Our weak point is meeting people's needs, and that's what's got to change. Someone once said, saying a thing's a thing don't make a thing a thing. Saying that you love people doesn't mean you really love people. See, it's that whole thing about saying. 
a thing's a thing. They don't want to hear it, folks. They want to see it. Love is the opposite of judgmentalism. We talked this week about judgmentalism. It changes our our whole outlook. It it changes our attitudes. It changes um, our interactions. It changes the way we deal with people. It softens our hard stance that we sometimes come across with. I saw, I got an email uh, a while back, and I want to read it. Um, another one for later, too, but this is, this is called, I Saw Jesus. I saw Jesus last week. He was wearing blue jeans and an old shirt. He was up the church building. He was alone, working hard. For just a minute, he looked like one of the members of our church. It was Jesus. I could tell by his smile. I saw Jesus last Sunday. He was teaching a Bible class. He didn't use uh, long words or talk real loud. I could tell he believed what he said. For just a minute, he looked like my Sunday school teacher, but it was Jesus. I could tell by his loving voice. I saw Jesus yesterday. He was at the hospital visiting a friend who was sick. They prayed together quietly. For just a minute, he looked like our preacher. But it was Jesus. I could tell by the tears in his eyes. I saw Jesus this morning. He was in my kitchen making my breakfast, and then he fixed me a special lunch to take with me. For just a minute, he looked like my mom. But it was Jesus. I could feel the love in his heart. I saw Jesus today. He was praying on his knees all alone. And he began to cry for those he prayed for. For just a minute, he looked like a lady from our church. But it was Jesus. I could see the compassion poured out of his prayer. I saw Jesus the other day. He was at the grocery store talking to a friend. And then he put his arms around the guy and comforted him. For just a minute, he looked like a young mother in Our Lady's class, but it was Jesus. I could see the concern for others who hurt. I see Jesus everywhere, taking food to the sick, welcoming others to his home, being friendly to a newcomer. For just a minute, I think he's someone I know. But it's always Jesus. I can tell by the way he serves. A smile. A loving voice. Tears in his eyes. Love from his heart. Compassion. Concern for those who hurt. Service. None of that is preaching. And yet it is. Love is a choice. Guys, I want to talk to you for a minute. Just you girls, you can listen in if you want. When you get older and, and, and you um, you meet a girl that's special, I want you to know that you will not fall in love 
like it's some kind of an accident, like you had no control over it. You might be attracted to their beautiful hair, their face, their anything about them, <laughs> their body. Hopefully their, hopefully their personality will have, you know, come into play, guys. Because that's the one thing that's not going to change. That pretty face is going to get wrinkled someday. And after, after she's had a couple of kids, she's not going to have the body that she has. But that personality is not going to change, folks. So you find somebody that's really sweet and really loving and really kind and really gentle and really caring. I want to tell you, I found one. In a week and a half, we're going to celebrate our 40th anniversary. And I'm still in love with her. But I want to say one more thing, guys. Don't you dare ever say I love you to a girl until you are certain that you're willing to die for her. And girls, if some guy comes along and tells you he loves you, right then and there, ask him, will you die for me right now? I dare you. Because you better make sure that the motivation is correct. Because it's like 20 years ago, we reached the point in this country where more than 50% of the marriages end in divorce. Love is a choice. If you walk out on that girl someday, guys, you didn't fall out of love. You chose. You chose to make that choice. And we choose to love people. Or not. And the extent to which we love people is the extent to which you're going to be willing to listen to what we have to say. If you have your Bible, would you open it to Mark chapter 12? Mark chapter 12. And I want to read verses 29 through 31. This guy comes to Jesus and Jesus and asks him, what's the, what's the most important, what's the first commandment? In verse 29 we read, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but I love myself. And so do you. I make sure, I make sure that uh, I got what I need. Clothes, food, fun. I make sure my needs are met. It's important to me. And Jesus is saying, love your neighbor. 
just like you love yourself. So, what do they need? Do they need food? Do, need, do they need clothing? Do they have emotional needs? I'm telling you, the kids in your school have all of that, especially emotional needs. And I have said this before, and I'll probably say it, I'm going to say it now, and I'll probably say it again. The best and the biggest decision point you can make in your high school is that moment you walk out of the cafeteria line with your tray and you make up your mind which table you're going to sit at. Because you know where you always go, to where your buddies are and, you know, where the, the crowd is, the group is. Would you just stop and look out there at that cafeteria? Because somebody, somewhere out there, there's a table with a kid sitting all alone. Maybe your cafeteria is overcrowded and every table is jammed. But you know who the kids are. They're sitting at a table with 12, 15, 20 other people, but they're all alone. And you know it. And you know who they are. You're not dumb. Would you go to that table and say, you mind if I sit with you? I know what their answer is going to be. But you see, you have to sacrifice something for that. You might have to sacrifice a good time with your friends. You might have to sacrifice some popularity. Some of those kids, the rest of the school calls them losers. And you're thinking, man, I don't know whether I want to be seen with that kid. Maybe one of those kids is gay and has come out of the closet. Now you really don't want to be seen with them, do you? What choice are you going to make? Kids are walking around your high schools every single day alone, miserable. It is a hell on earth. And you can make it a little less so. But understand your reason for doing it. We do a lot of substituting for love because it's a whole lot easier. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to worship. Get involved in the worship team or the choir. That's my involvement in Christian work. So I don't really have to go to that mission and feed those smelly men and women. Some of them do. They really smell. I was in Philadelphia about a year ago on a mission trip, and I met a guy named Bobo. Where he got a name like that, I don't know. He spent some time in prison. He uh, had both legs amputated just below the knees. I asked him, how did it happen? He said, I was, I was homeless and I was sleeping outside and 
and it was really cold and I got frostbite and they had to remove my feet. The way I met him, I pulled into the Salvation Army parking lot where we were going to be housed for that mission trip and he's he's standing, sitting there in his wheelchair and um, this girl that was really the leader of the trip, I was just there helping her. Um, we're unloading food that we had just bought for the team for the week. And he wheels, he sees us doing this, and so he wheels himself into the parking lot and walk, um, uh, wheels up himself up to us and says, hey, you guys have any, any extra food? I haven't eaten in a long time. And uh, we said to him, you know what? This food is for a lot of people that, that we're going to have to feed this week, but can you wait 20 minutes or so, let us get this inside, then we'll take you out for something to eat? He says, yeah, I can wait. So we un unloaded the food, and we got it into the Salvation Army headquarters. And I went outside, and I, I said, what do, you, what do you like? He said, oh, anything. I said, well, there's a pizza place in the next block. You like pizza? Yeah, I like pizza. So I went down and bought him a pizza. And I went in. It's a small little shop. I went in and ordered it. Ordered a large Pepsi. And I came out and we had to wait and her talking. And he really, really smelled. He had not bathed. He lied to me. I said, where do you, you live around here? He said, yeah, I got an apartment over on, and he named the street. Before that week was over, I looked, and he, see, he told me, I have an apartment on that street. Well, he's in a wheelchair, so there's got to be a wheelchair ramp. And I looked, I searched every house on both sides of that street. The street's only three or four blocks long. There's no houses with any wheelchair ramps. He didn't have a place. He was homeless. And so he hadn't bathed in, in a long, long time. And all I did was buy him a pizza and a, and a Pepsi. And share a little bit, just a little bit, why we're there quick, real quick presentation of the gospel. I said, you know, I'd like to meet with you again sometime this week. He said, oh, I'm around. I'm around here all the time. I said, okay. Never saw him the rest of the week. Till the last day. Finally saw him again. Some people smell. Some people, there's a girl in my high school that had a, she's lived in rich side of town, had a horse. That girl rode her horse every morning. Now, she didn't take a shower before coming to school. And I knew she rode horses. We study the Bible. That's a good substitute. We, 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 we lead a Bible study. That's a good Christian service project. You've seen it's easier than loving people or doing what you need to do to, to show love. How about this one? Um, you hear about a guy from your church who's in the hospital, or your, one of your neighbors is in, in the hospital. Oh, I'll pray for him. Why? 
Because prayer is easier than getting in your car, driving to the hospital, paying for a parking place, going to get a visitor's pass, making your way past the the vomit bowls and the and the potty seats, you know. And finally getting to this room and talking with someone. It's a whole lot easier just to pray for them. But which one do you think has a visible, immediate effect? The visit. How about this one? A missionary in your church explains that the people in Africa are so open to the gospel and they need help. We need more workers. I'll pray that somebody will go. And if they do, I'll give to support them. But what about going? We, we go to great lengths to not have to do the things that show love. See, it's a whole lot easier to pray or to give than to roll up your sleeves and meet people's needs. Our church, the, the church that I attend, builds a house every year uh, in conjunction with Habitat for Humanity. Habitat for Humanity is not a Christian organization. It, it, if I'm correct, it was started by Jimmy Carter, President Carter. And it's a secular group, but they just meet people's needs. And um, we decided that we're going to volunteer. We're going to get a lot of volunteers, and we're going to work through every phase of the building of that house. Why? Because Habitat for Humanity demands that the people who are going to eventually own that house have to put a lot of hours into the working, to the building of it. They have to contribute time, effort. That means we get an opportunity to talk with them. First, we have an opportunity to show them that we care by being there. By taking a Saturday, when we could be doing a whole lot of other stuff, and because we are willing to do that, we are willing to listen. Matthew twenty four twelve says, Because of lawlessness, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. He's talking about the end times. Harold Camping was wrong. It wasn't May 21st. We're still here. But Harold Camping was right about one thing. We are in the end times. And the love of many is waxing cold. And unfortunately, it's happening in Christian churches, probably in yours. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now he's talking at that moment to his disciples. 
So what's he saying? Disciples, love one another. Well, that verse is written to you. To you. So he's saying to you, love one another. It's not just Christians loving Christians. Love people. How many of you get Uncle Paul's e epistle? epistle? You don't know about it? Well, you got to find out. The guy, the crazy guy you saw in the video, sang tonight. <laughs> he does this epistle, this email letter. It's just a quick, short. You know, every once in a while, once a week, once every two weeks. When he gets really busy, it's once every three weeks. But but it's a short little encouragement. And if you just give him your email address, he'll put you on his his email address. He'll put you on his his email address list, and, and you'll get it. And a couple of years ago, he wrote one, and um, I couldn't find it, but I know what I remember what it said. Basically, it said this: Keep it simple. Love God. He loves people. Would you turn to Exodus chapter twenty for just a minute? Exodus chapter 20. And that's, um, that's the Ten Commandments. In verse 3, the first commandment, You shall have no other gods before me. Well, if you keep it simple and love God, you're not going to want any other God before Him. Verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything. Well, if you love God, you're going to obey that command. By the way, why do you suppose He wrote... Why do you, why do you suppose He doesn't like carved images? Because we are people who know everything we know by our senses. I know that that girl has a purple shirt on because I can see it. You know, I, I know that this chair is relatively smooth because I can feel it. Almost everything we know, we know through our senses. And we start making statues. It's easy to start worshiping those things. Verse 7, you shall not take the Lord, name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, if you love God, you're not going to want to do that. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. If you love God, you're going to want to go to worship Him. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. If you love God, you're going to want to obey it, that commandment. And by the way, that was put there for your sake because if you don't get to the point where you honor your father and mother, you're not going to honor the police, you're not going to honor your teachers, you're not going to honor any authority, and you're going to end up in, with more problems. You shall not murder. If you love God, you're going to keep that commandment. If you love people, you're not going to kill them. It's real simple. I mean, it was so simple, this epistle, but it was so deep that I kept it. I just can't find it. 
You shall not commit adultery. If you love God, you're going to keep that commandment. If you love the person that you're looking at, you're not, commit, you're not even going to ask her to commit adultery. That's why I say, you better be willing to die for you. Or it's a lot of garbage. You shall not steal. If you love God, you're going to want to keep that commandment. If you love your neighbors, you're not going to take from them. You're going to give to them. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. If you love your neighbors, you're not going to want to take from them. You're not going to lie about them. You're not going to want what they have. You're going to be happy that they have it and want more for them. See, if you love God and you love people, you're not going to be judgmental. That's an indictment of me, folks. Is it an indictment of you? Because sometimes I'm judgmental. I told you this book slapped me in the face. It held up a mirror and I didn't like what I saw. I urge you, I urge you to find a Christian bookstore and read this book. If you love God and you love people, you're not going to be hypocritical in front of them. You're not going to be hypocritical, period. If you love God and you love people, then gay bashing is going to be something that you just don't have a part of. Because Jesus Christ died for gays just as much as He died for you. If you love God and you love people, you're not going to shelter yourself from the world. I didn't take my metal detector out this afternoon because I knew we weren't going to be there long. But uh, but if we had, if, if the rain hadn't come, I would have been looking for some old coins or. Who knows what you might find because I have this metal. You see old people walking along the beach with it. I'm not old. I wish. I joined a metal detecting club just because I hung around with youth pastors and pastors and kids like you. And I needed to find somebody that didn't know Christ, some people that I could maybe have positive effect on, maybe witness to. And I knew going into it that I might come home with some smoke in my clothes and I might hear some language that was raw. Well, what do you expect? That's what, that's what unsaved people do. And I met Ernie that way. And it's been five, probably five years five long years of witnessing and five long years of praying for him and he still doesn't want to hear it. See, I haven't always been correct in the way I showed it. That's going to change. I want to read one one passage from this book. It's, It's written by a guy... It's Pastor David Gibbons, pastor of New Song Church. I have no where that I have no idea where that is, but it's it's on a love. Listen, you want you want to live you want to live truth. Listen to what he has to say. 
Of course, love is too difficult to define, but let me try listing what I think the future of Christian love ought to involve. It ought to involve loving without putting our acts of kindness on a pedestal. What happens giving in secret? Glamorous charity is not charity at all. It ought to involve loving without strings unconditionally. Nothing in it for you at all. It ought to involve being concerned about, but unconcerned about being unnamed, rewarded, or repaid. It's called agape love. Love, pure love. Love for the sake of loving. It's the way Jesus loved. It ought to involve prioritizing the other even in the midst of personal discomfort. An attitude that says your needs are greater than mine. It ought to involve advocating for the undefended and the voiceless. And I wrote in the margin, the unborn. It ought to involve being better listeners to those who need to be heard. Man, we want to preach. But we sure don't want to take the time to listen. You find a kid in your school Maybe that kid is gay. And I told you the other day, a kid like that is scared stiff that somebody will find out. He's confused. He's probably guilt-ridden. If you develop a friendship, he's going to want to do some talking. Don't preach at him then. You better listen. You ought to involve being a church without walls. We've got to get rid of this ridiculous idea that church is on Sunday in a brick building with a pointed steeple. Church is in your locker room. Church is in math class. Church is in that cafeteria table. That's where you worship. That's where you worship. It ought to involve seeing the church as a home for the fringe and the misfits and the marginalized. It ought to involve being willing to die for others, laying down our lives like the first century Christians who, when pandemics struck the city, they'd stay there and serve the afflicted while the others left. It ought to involve responding immediately to global crises. Last summer I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and you guys know that they had a bad flood. Most of the country didn't know that because the, the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico was getting all the newspaper ink, and a lot of people had no idea. And so I led a trip there, and uh, boy, what a mess. And all we did, I don't think, well, I, I, we did go to Centennial Park once, and I did some gospel magic, and the kids did these bead bracelets with, with the kids who showed up, and, and they purposefully put the bead bracelets together right there so they could explain the, the colors to them, and, and so these kids heard the gospel. But other than that, there was an old roller rink 
that had been out of business for several years and an Hispanic uh, pastor was going to start a, a church in there. And the place was flooded and it was a mess. And so we spent several days just ripping walls down. I bought more masks for the dust that was kicked up. That's why I like the organization that I'm with. Because I think four days after the, the, uh, the, the um, earthquake struck Haiti, we had a team down there. That team was, was giving some immediate aid, but what they really were doing was building relationships with pastors so that in the years to come we could just keep on sending teams down there to show the love of Jesus Christ, not preach it. But you preach it too. It ought to involve seeking long-term commitment to radical and sacrificial compassion for the poor. It ought to, here's one, you're not going to like this one. It ought to involve a gentle conversation with the world. It ought to involve showing love of Christ more than love for Christianity as a culture. We are so wrapped up in our youth group culture and we get involved in the youth group and in the youth group activities and the youth group this and the youth group that. And I'm not... There's a place for that. But once in a while, guys, you've got to get out of that Christian culture and meet the real needs of real people in a real world. It ought to involve creating a place where all are truly empowered. My wife one time answered a question. One of the people in our church, we worked for 23 years in the, in the uh, high school youth group. It was a large Baptist church in northern New Jersey. And uh, one time a lady came up and she said, Margie, why do you and Dave do this? You're not young. Oh, thanks. Why do you do this? You sleep on hard floors during lock-ins. You drive down there Wednesday night, Friday night, at least two Saturdays a month, Sunday morning, Sunday night, after church, kids get together and just hang out. Why do you do it? And her answer was a classic. <laughs> she said, because when you play with them, you earn the right to pray with them. Whoa. <laughs> I couldn't have given that answer. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. When you meet their needs, when you help to get rid of the loneliness that some of the kids in your, your school are experiencing, then you get to pray with them. 
when you are willing to give whatever they need, food, clothing, then you earn the right to meet their real needs. I want to close with um, another email that I received a while back. And uh, I don't know, I may have read this here before, but I'll read it again. This is called Trisha's Story. She was so sick and alone. Trisha's mom had come to the end of her tether, and some strangers had come to her door. They spoke of Jesus, of love, of freedom. She was so lonely, so weak, and so sad. Trisha's mom had opened her heart to Jesus, and so did Trisha. What relief, what joy. And the church seemed to embrace her, giving her family belonging, a place in this unfriendly world that was, that was about a year ago. Then Trisha got sick, so sick, 12 years old, cruel, cruel disease. She needed some blood transfusions, over 20 of them. She survived the disease. The folks at the church said that was an answer to their prayers. Probably was. Just about the time her body was getting better, her health went sour. They thought the disease had returned, but the doctor's words cut worse than a dagger. Trisha has AIDS. Somehow, probably through trans. And Trisha's mom's world began to crumble. AIDS is God's punishment for sin, probably some sin in your past life. If you had had faith, Trisha would have gotten better without the transfusions. Ah, we live in an evil age. That's one of the risks we take. Here are some medicines, and they're really... They're really good, but they're really expensive. Do you have good insurance? No? Well, then I don't see much hope. Probably would be best if Trisha didn't come to Awana anymore. If she got cut or had a cold, it's, it's for the good of the children. You know, you understand. And Trisha's mom didn't get invited to the women's group anymore. There was once an exchange between Christ and the crowd. Christ said a strange thing, so strange the impact was lost, and it's still lost. If you give a glass of water, you give to me. I was thirsty. If you give bread, you give to me. I was hungry. If you give a jacket, you clothe me. I was cold. It's easy to think of hunger, thirst, and cold. That's easily remedied. But how does Christ thirst? He's in heaven, glorified, resurrected body, no pain, no death, no suffering, no want there. Am I missing something? Oh, it's an allegory, you say. It's as if Christ thirsted. But that's not what it says. 
says, I thirsted. You didn't give me to drink. I hungered. You didn't give me to eat. I had AIDS. You treated me like a leper. You isolated me. You abandoned me at a time of my deepest sorrow and you asked me to get out. Easy to rationalize when it's a child, rough when it's the Almighty Himself. Our hymns have a tendency to bring comfort to ourselves, even such a favorite as does Jesus care. Gives us comfort. Oh yes, He cares. What would a hymn sound like if we sang, Does Jesus hurt? Does He thirst? Does He feel the pain of, ab of abandonment? Oh yes, He thirsts. I know He... But I have water and bread and arms to hold and the warmth of friendship and words of comfort. Trisha will die. She will die alone, abandoned, and frightened. Or she will die loved, embraced, and in peace. And it will hinge on what we see and what we perceive. We see a little girl and her mom. We perceive the master pleading our care. The circle of evangelism is then complete. You guys know Trisha's. You're not 12 years old. You may not have AIDS. But they've got all oh, such problems that you could have an effect on. The only question is, will you? Pray with me, please. Oh God, I pray that you would help these kids to have a different kind of vision when they get back to school in the fall, I give it to them long before that. Give it to them this Saturday morning, I pray. Help them to see kids in their neighborhoods, kids in their towns. Through the eyes of Jesus Christ, to help them to realize that they can make a difference. They may not be eloquent at preaching, but oh God, they can show your love. They can live truth. They can live Jesus. Would you help him to do it? I pray this in Jesus' name.